Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Wow. We are blessed every Sunday, every Sunday with great music. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Probably one of the most familiar passages in all the Bible, next to the 23rd Psalm. Matthew 6, Jesus said in verse 9, In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we ask that you draw us closer to you. Help us not be afraid. Help people to understand the privilege of coming to you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for accepting us and saving us. And God, we ask you now, you begin to teach us how to pray, teach us what to say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. A man took his little boy with him to town to run some errands, and at lunchtime, they went in a very crowded diner, so crowded that there were no tables available, only seats up at the counter. And so he sat down on one of the stools, set his young son up there on the stool. And after they ordered a sandwich and it was brought to them, he told his son, because it's so crowded in here today, we're just going to have a silent prayer. And so the dad bowed his head and so did the little boy. A few moments, the dad raised his head. The little boy's head was still down. And he kept it down for a couple of minutes. It's a long time, especially when you're waiting on someone. Finally, the little boy looked up, and his dad said, Son, what on earth or what in the world were you praying about all that time? And with the innocence and honesty of a child, he said, How do I know, Dad? It was a silent prayer. (laughs) Two Two long-time friends, Bob and Jim, got into an argument about who was the most knowledgeable about the Bible. Finally, Bob's got enough of it, and he said, all right, prove it to me. I'll bet you $50 you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. Jim said, I'll take that bet. In a few moments, he started praying. Now I lay me down to sleep, <laughs> and so on. Bob was astounded. He took $50 out of his pocket and said, you surprised me. I didn't think you knew it. There's a lot of confusion about the Lord's Prayer. It ought to be called the Disciples' Prayer or the Model Prayer. We're going to camp here for a little while. This same account is in Luke chapter 11. 
beginning in verses 1 through 4, where the disciples asked the Lord, teach us to pray. Now, in this context, in the Sermon on the Mount, you have the model prayer listed. And the reason I call it the model prayer, the Lord's prayer is really found in John 17, where Jesus prayed for all of us. But the model prayer, the disciples' prayer is right here. And in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus had been talking about praying and giving and fasting. And praying is the most important because you really can't give if you're not praying out of a heart of thanksgiving, and you can't fast if you're not praying and giving. And so praying is the most important part. Now, the disciples knew about prayer because they were raised in a Jewish home, and they knew all the Jewish prayers, but they saw something about Jesus when he prayed that they weren't doing. And so they asked Jesus, teach us to pray. They didn't say, teach us about prayer or teach us a prayer, but Jesus gave them a basic skeletal outline, skeleton. He gave us the, the, uh, the basis there to put the flesh and the bones, to put the flesh and the meat on it. But he said, this is, you want to include these items. And that's why we're going to camp here for a few weeks and talk about what to say in our prayer time. A lot of people don't pray because they don't know what to say. And I want you to know that Jesus did not give us this model to just recite. Several things that mark this prayer. First of all, it's very brief and it's very simple. 66 words in the King James Version. And he gives the disciples a framework of prayer. So it doesn't have to be long. It's also interesting that it's marked by two major divisions. The first part of it talks about the glory of God, and then the second part of it deals with the needs and wants of man. There's some things in this prayer that Jesus did not teach us. He did not teach us the posture for praying. Now, if you're going to pray, what's the posture? Well, If you look in the Bible, you find people standing and sitting and lifting up their hands, lying down, kneeling, bowing, lifting up their eyes, placing their heads between their knees, pounding on their chest, facing the temple, facing Jerusalem. There's no set posture for it. Someone penned it this way. The proper way for a man to pray, said Deacon Lemuel Keys, the only proper attitude is down upon his knees. No, I would say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms and wrapped and upturned eyes. Oh, no, 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 said Elder Slow. Such posture is too proud. A man should pray with his eyes fast closed and his head contritely bowed. Seems to me that his hands should be austerely clasped in front with both thumbs pointing toward the ground, said Reverend Dr. Blunt. Well, last year I fell in Higgins' well head first, said Cyrus Brown. With both my heels are sticking up and my head pointing down, I made a prayer right then and there, best prayer I ever said. The prayingest I ever prayed was standing on my head. (laughs) There's no such set posture for praying. Jesus did not teach us the place of prayer here. You're going to find people praying during a battle, in a cave, in a closet, in the garden, on a mountainside, by a river, by the sea, in the street, in God's house, in bed, in a home, in a fish, on a housetop, in a prison, in solitude, in the wilderness, 
even on a cross. We can pray any place, and we're told to pray without ceasing. Jesus did not tell us a certain time to pray. When? In the Bible, the people prayed early in the morning, mid-morning, three times a day, seven times a day, in the evening, before meals, after meals, at the ninth hour, bedtime, midnight, day and night, often, when angry, when old, when young, in trouble, every day, always. There's no set time. He did not tell us what to wear. People wore sackcloth, sat in ashes, shaved their heads, cried out, shook dust over their heads, tore their garments, fasted, sighed, groaned, sweat blood, made oaths, offered sacrifice, offered praise. Some even sang when they prayed. So where does prayer begin? If you look in the scripture, You'll find some of the great prayers of the Bible, Jonah and the fish, Daniel seeking an answer from God, Jeremiah while he's in prison, David in Psalm 86, always began their prayer with not, God, save me out of this trouble. They always started by focusing on who God is. So it's no wonder when Jesus gave us the model prayer, he begins with the greatness of God. To the people that Jesus was speaking to, it was an unusual beginning. He said, when you pray, pray our Father. That's as far as we're going today. When we begin to pray, we must pray with recognition. Do you know you're talking to God Almighty, the creator of all things. You're talking to God. Think about that for a moment. Kenneth Woodward today said, these days God doesn't get much respect. He was the religion editor for Newsweek magazine. He noted that God the Father is being ignored. Evangelicals focus on the Son. Pentecostals focus on the Spirit. Catholics on Mary. And liberals erase maleness everywhere. Few theologians these days seem to want a God who takes charge, assumes responsibility, fights for his children, makes demands, risks being rebuffed, punishes as well as forgives. In a word, a father. Jesus said, when you pray, pray something like this, our Father. Now, we know we're talking to God, but what I want you to understand is that when we pray, we pray with that recognition, but we also pray from a relationship. This would have blown their minds. It did blow their minds. We're going to pray from a relationship. God, Jesus called God Father more than 60 times in the New Testament. Now, when you look in the Old Testament, you don't find that word but 14 times. God is not called Father but 14 times in the Old Testament, and it's always corporately the Father of the nation. It's never on an individual or personal, in a personal way. It's always collectively. And when Jesus said, start this way, our Father, 
The Greek word is pater, P-A-T-E-R. We get our word paternity from that. Jesus probably spoke in Aramaic, and the Aramaic word would have been Abba, Abba. That's equivalent today for our word for dad. Most of us who have had good fathers, good dads, we didn't call our dad father. We called them dad. It's a relational term. Any, any man can possibly father a child biologically, but not all men are real dads. They're not a relational being in their family. And Jesus, when he said, call God Father, would have blown their minds. First of all, God to them was something, someone that was far off. They didn't have a personal relationship with him. Reminds me of a little girl who was walking down the sidewalk and saw a sign that said, God is nowhere. It was one of those marquees, so she went over to it, and she moved the H-E-R-E over just a little bit, and then it said, God is now here. And that's what Jesus is saying. The heavenly Father is here. He is close to you. You can call him Dad. Now, I mean, no disrespect. It's hard for us to even think about when I begin to pray and say, Dad, I need to talk to you. Because it's so casual, we use that term with our earthly dads. But that's what Jesus is saying. It's a relational term. Now, for some people, saying our father is a difficult thing because they had a sorry dad. He was a derelict, a drunkard. He was lazy. He was mean, obstinate. Maybe you couldn't talk to them. Maybe he abused you. Some of you did not have a good earthly father. And so for you to come to God and say, our father, you know, that's just a little bit too, that's a little bit too difficult, but you need to learn that the heavenly father and the scriptures completely different than any earthly father. So you've got to get past that. Don't compare the two. God is a father in two ways. First of all, generally, he is father through creation. When God created man in Genesis 1, 26, it says that he created man in his image. All people were created by God. Now, we're, we're the results of God's creation. We are not the result of some cosmic explosion. We are not happenstance. God created us. In his image, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we have a body, soul, and spirit. We're made in his image. Now, when we sinned, we separated ourselves from God. And Jesus said in John 8, 44, that now mankind's got a new father. You're of your father, the devil. You, he is a liar from the beginning. He is the father of lies. And so we broke that relationship when God created us. It's popular to hear people say today, well, we're all God's children. And what they do is some kind of shallow statement like that that blurs the distinctions between those who follow Jesus Christ and have a relationship with God the Father and those who don't. 
But this prayer, this model prayer is not a prayer that just anybody can use. A Buddhist won't use it or can't. A Muslim can't use it. Uh, A Hindu can't use it because it is distinctively Christian based on Christian truth. So we're not all God's children in the sense of a relationship there. We're all God's children by creation. Paul even used two different words when he was talking to the Athenians in Athens. These people had many gods, and they even had an inscription to the unknown God just covering all their bases to make sure if there's one they left out that they didn't know about, they were covered and, and Paul used two different words, both meaning, both translated sons, S-O-N. He first told them, you are the offspring to God. You descended from God. You, you were created by God. But then he goes on to say, but you are not sons yet because you have rejected Jesus Christ and have not known him as the true God. Two different words. Basically, you're a human. God created humans, but you're not a child of God because you've not received Jesus Christ as your Savior. So in a sense, God is the father of all mankind. He, we know that we, he created the world. He created us. He is our father by creation. But he's also our father through conversion, through Jesus Christ. There's a paternity and a fatherhood. Anybody can, not anybody, any man, any man theoretically can biologically produce a child with a female. But that doesn't make him a dad. Because a lot of people, father, children, bring, you know, I'm trying to be tactful here. You know what I'm talking about. But that doesn't mean that they have a relationship with their children. Charles Spurgeon noted that this prayer is not intended for the masses, but is instead a prayer for the true disciples of Christ, those who've been converted by the saving grace of God. We've been, we were born by his spirit. We've been saved by his grace. We've been washed in his blood. Otherwise, we have no right to call God Father. Before... You know, if you wanted to prove that some, somebody was your child, a man, if a man, if they were trying to prove that you were the father of a child, they would use DNA testing now because it's very accurate. But before DNA testing, which is pretty recent, they used to do a paternity test and it was a blood test. It was about 90 to 95% accurate. You could get a good idea if a child was born to this or was a result of this man by the blood test. Well, I'm here to tell you that you don't know the father unless you've passed the blood test. 
the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, the sinless blood of Christ shed on the cross to pay for our sins, who rose again the third day. And when you place your faith and trust and commit your life to him, you pass the blood test. He is now your father. John 1, 12 says, as many as received Jesus, to them God gave the right to be called the sons of God, even those who believe on him. Now that's strange. You mean people can believe about God and not be saved? Yes. The demons believe in Jesus. They're not saved. A lot of people believe about God, but they've never committed their life to him. They do not have a relationship with God the Father. Jesus came to show us God the Father. Jesus came to bring us to God the Father. And so we are brought into his family through Jesus Christ. And listen, because you have a relationship with him, you don't have to be afraid. My dad and mom are in this room, in this service. That's why I always try to behave in this service. (laughs) I don't want them to ground me. Dad will be 87 this month. Mom's still 39. (laughs) Not many people get to have their parents as long as I had the privilege of having them. But I, I want you to know that I know where they live, and we go over to their house, and I'm never afraid to go over to their house because I'm not afraid of my dad. You don't have to be afraid to talk to your dad. You have a relationship with him. In fact, Hebrews 4.16 tells us that we can come boldly into the presence of God. We feel at home. Sons and daughters, we are sons and daughters of God the Father, and we have special rights and privileges. When my children, when our children were still at home, if you were in my office and one of them knocked on the door, you were going to be interrupted. Because my assistant was told, if my children ever need me, I don't care if the president's in my office, you interrupt me. Because they have special rights and privileges. When I, if, if you were, if you and I were having lunch or we were talking or if you were in my office and my phone rang, now I can say no to that most of the time, but if, if Rachel Patterson or Josh Wilson or Amy Jones or Laura Wilson, my wife, if they show up on my phone, guess what? I'm going to say, you know what? You're going to have to excuse me for just one moment. I'm going to take this call. They have rights and privileges. You have rights and privileges as God's children. You don't have to pray through anyone. Jesus Christ is the high priest. We go through Jesus. We pray in his name. We talk to God the Father. And guess what? In the midst of running the universe, now that's a pretty big job, you know? That's above my pay grade. I'm so glad. God's running the universe, but you know what? He's got time 
to listen to you. He knows everything about you. So you pray recognizing you're talking to God Almighty. You pray from a relationship. But if you don't get anything else I say today, and those folks who left are going to miss it, this is the best part. I say the best to last. You pray with a realization. And here's, here, you're going to realize two things. When you say our Father, you're admitting that you're not praying alone. This isn't a private prayer. Now, you can use it in private, but you need to understand the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer was given to all of us as Christians. So when you pray, you're admitting that you're part of a community of faithful followers. You are not alone. The words I and me are nowhere in this model prayer. You're admitting that you're not the only one in the world who has a concern to bring to God. You're confessing that your problems are not the only problems in the world. That's going to distress some of you because some of you think that the whole world revolves around you. But really and truly, when you come in to say, our Father, you're part of a community of believers. Aren't you glad you're not the only one in this room receiving the full load of this sermon by yourself? You see... We're part of a family. We're not alone. We're in this together. And so when we pray as a congregation, we, we're praying for the, the family of God. Somebody penned it this way. You cannot say the Lord's Prayer and even say, and even once say I. You cannot pray the Lord's Prayer and even once say my, nor can you pray the Lord's Prayer and not pray for another. For when you ask for daily bread, you must include your brother. For others are included in each and every plea from the beginning to the end of it. It does not once say me. When you pray, you're not alone. But if you don't hear anything else I say, you need to realize that you also are a child of the forgiving Father. You are not unknown. Now stay with me with this. Jesus came to show us the Father. If you go to Luke chapter 15 and you read the account of the prodigal son, most of you are familiar with this. Let me remind you of a few things. Younger son came to the father. He didn't want to live under his father's rule anymore. Perhaps he was put down by his brother. I don't know. But he asked his father for his share of the inheritance that he was out of here. The father gave him the inheritance. He left. The Bible says that he went into a far country and wasted it on riotous living, party time, women on both shoulders, spent every dime of it, whatever he wanted, he bought it with his father's money until he used it all. And then a famine came upon the land. Here he is penniless, he's homeless, and he attaches himself probably to some farmer who has pigs. And the farmer says, the only job I have is for you to feed my pigs. And so the prodigal son ends up penniless and homeless and starving so much that he eats the carob pods that he feeds the pigs. Months before, he'd eaten prime rib. 
Now he's eating pig feed. But then his life began to change. He came to his senses, realized what a fool he'd been. He decided to return to his father. He mentally rehearsed what he would say to his dad, and he got up from the pig pen and started on home. And can you imagine the thoughts he was having while on that journey? Will my dad even speak to me? Will my dad take me back? Will he accept me? So here he goes down the road, embarrassed, dirty, humiliated. Now, one of the things we don't usually think about is the pain from the father's side. Have you ever thought about it? He did lose a lot of money. I would imagine that he was humiliated because the town probably talked about him. I, I can't imagine them not knowing. His older brother knew and the hired hands knew that the younger son had left. And, you know, it was probably common talk to talk about dysfunctional families. But the greatest, the greatest pain was that he lost a son. But then, but then, The scripture says that the father saw his son first. The son didn't see the father first. The father saw the son first. And then what did he do? He ran. He ran to the son, embraced him, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the word that Jesus used meant he smothered him with kisses. In that one moment, all the, man, all the boys' questions were answered. The son's fear melted away. There were five signs of the father's welcome. The kiss was the sign of forgiveness. The robe was the sign of honor. The ring was a sign of authority. The sandals were the sign of freedom. And the feast, that was a sign of a joyful welcome. Now, here's what I want you to get. When you come to God through Jesus Christ, and I'm assuming that most of you have given your life to Christ, but when you come to the Lord and you call, when you come to God and you call him Father, I want you to know that you are wanted. You're wanted. Verse 24 of Luke 15 says that they began to celebrate. Later in verse 32, he told the older son, we celebrated because your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Back from the dead, found alive, home again. No wonder the father said, let's have a party. I can only speak from personal things. I don't know if it's being the firstborn in my family as far as children go. I don't know. I think birth order, there's some other firstborns in here. You know, our our parents learned on us and then let our brother and sisters get away with murder. There's a lot of truth in that. I mean, I I speak from experience. We have a firstborn in our home too. I don't know. I'm not blaming them. They were my I love my parents. They've been great parents. I wish all of you had great parents. 
But I know this, that, you know, I have a tendency to want to toe the line and keep the rules, except when I drive, I want to keep the rules. (laughs) It's just never fast enough. Um, But here's, here's the deal. I have a tendency to be harder on myself than anyone else could ever think about being. And I got to confess to you, there have been times when I think, you know, I got to pray because that's what God wants me to do, and I want to please him. Some of you may have actually thought, well, you know what, if I, if I don't talk to God, if I don't pray, he won't know everything about me. We've already settled that back in verse 8. He knows everything. I, I've never come to pray that I didn't think about sin in my life or where I fall short. But God wants you to come. You don't have to beg him to come. He wants you to come. Which leads me to the second thing. When you come, you're welcomed. Now, now think about this for a minute. You have never done anything to cause God to love you any less than he loves you right now. He knows everything about you and loves you to the uttermost. I've made some mistakes in my life, but my parents have never done anything but welcome to me. Well, preacher, you don't understand. You don't understand what I have done. You know what? I don't have to understand. God already knows and still loves you. Well, you don't know where I've been and how I've turned my back on God. Well, God knows. He loves you anyway. And when you turn around, guess what? He's going to be standing at the door to welcome you back. So when we pray, we have a heavenly dad who not only wants us, but welcomes us. So what are we afraid of? That changes everything when you come to the Lord, doesn't it? There's a term that's been used around through the years. It's called father hunger. And basically, it's used to describe a home where there's no father and the children are hungry for somebody to have that relationship with them. It has nothing, it, it does not mean that moms are any less than a dad. It doesn't mean they're not doing a good job, but the children growing up in a home that desperately want a father and sometimes they will look for someone or something to fill that void. And on a much larger scale, the story of humanity is is that we turned our back on our father and there is now a father hunger. There's a void. 
People look to alcohol and drugs. Sometimes they float from one failed relationship to another. Sometimes they bury themselves in work thinking if I climb the corporate ladder that it will stop that little voice inside that says there's got to be something more. Some are tortured to the point that they take their own life because they discover that nothing in this life satisfies for very long and they end up like Solomon that said in Ecclesiastes 2.17, I hated life. But Jesus came and he tore the separation down between us and a holy God by paying for our sin so that we can now approach God and we don't have to be afraid. I mean, no disrespect. And we don't want to get so casual that we just treat like God like one of, the buddy, one of our buddies. No, God is God. But he calls you and me his child. He wants you. He welcomes you. But the only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. It took me a long time to get to the place where I realized, you know what, when I come to God, he already knows all the stuff I've done and what I've done wrong. And he knows the sorry attitudes I have at times. But he still wants me. And he still welcomes me. Why? Because there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's why. So the first part of knowing what to say is calling God our Father. Let's talk to him right now. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of calling you our Father. We're so sinful, we're so flawed, and yet you wanted us. You welcomed us through Jesus Christ. I pray for those, Lord, that that don't have a relationship with you. They don't have a clue what we're talking about. The closest they can come is just to recite the Lord's Prayer. They, they, don't, they don't know you as Father, but I pray you'd show them that Father hunger, that void that can be filled with faith in you, and you will dwell in us through your Spirit. We pray that people would come to you We pray for people would be obedient to you, to be baptized, to join a church, to be part of a fellowship of believers. Thank you that we're not alone. And even though you know us, you still want us, and you still welcome us. I pray that you'd help us as your children not be afraid, not be intimidated. But because of Jesus, because of your spirit that lives in us, that we can come before your throne anytime, anywhere. We pray for those today that need Christ, Lord. Teach us to pray. 
And thank you for beginning by telling us not to be afraid. We pray for those that need to come now, Lord, and that you would bring them. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.